One Week Season. Yo, welcome to the OWS First Peak podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. I'm your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Guys, how are you? How did week four pan out for you? Not great. <laughs> yeah, this time I, I, I lost money on the main slate and I didn't do well on the late slate to, to make up for it or on the afternoon slate to make up for it. So this is my second losing week. I've had two winning weeks, two losing weeks, and the losing weeks have been greater than the winning weeks. So, yeah, about about there. <laughs> yeah, pretty average for me, too. I did better on I've been getting better on Battle Royale each week, kind of like doing that article and stuff. Had a couple of lineups like really close to the top, but um, yeah, ultimately just not where you want to be, if, you know, to get that first place. Lex, where is that? Uh, if people haven't looked at that yet, the the underdog. Oh yeah, that's in the uh, reflection part of the scroll. The Monday Wednesday, it's on. Um, it's one of the the articles in there, uh, just called Under Own Underdog. Basically, just taking a look at you know the top rosters each week and like kind of some strategies to review as we get more information on that kind of tournament each week. Yeah, we've been kind of talking about that a little bit offline here. Lex is just saying how much fun that is to play. So yeah, definitely check out his piece there if you haven't. Uh, yeah, and before we jump into things today, speaking of other things that we got going on at OWS. I've been hitting the community stage on Wednesdays in the middle of the day, uh, 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern. Just an awesome place to hang out. Uh, I chat a little bit about my lineup for the weekend. And so it's been really uh, fun for everybody to look at how badly I've done so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, seriously, though, it's it's an awesome opportunity for uh me to share my process and uh, assess what I've done well, what I haven't done well. I truly believe that we all learn together. So yeah, definitely feel free to jump in there and uh, shoot me questions as well. But all that out of the way, let's kind of jump into what we've got for the games this week. Our three games, like we usually do, are. Philadelphia at Carolina, Tennessee at Jacksonville, New York Giants at Dallas. We've got some recurring teams here. We kind of have some teams that keep popping and back in. And I think it's a really good opportunity for us to continue to get to know them a little bit more. And yeah, so let's just kind of dive in. Let's jump right into the Philadelphia Carolina game. So Carolina took their first loss, obviously, versus a strong Dallas team. Uh, that said, there were still plenty of positives for the Panthers. The offensive side of the ball looked good. Uh, I watched that game, and for what it's worth, the, the offense looked really good as well. And then on the other side of the ball, we have an Eagles team that uh, played Dallas two weeks ago. 
and just had another kind of dog fight uh, trying to stay in the game versus Kansas City. So let's dig into these two teams and uh, just kind of look at what the data is saying to this point. Let's start with a little shout out to Majestic for sharing on the podcast last week that uh, Sam Darnold's been not only running inside the 10, but also is getting schemed looks. So props Jess for throwing that out there and taking two to the house with uh, the, the legs of Sam Darnold. Yeah. I wish I played him. <laughs> Sam, Sam Vic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you and me both, man. Just like, hard to, to see that score that he put up. I didn't play any of the Panthers after what we talked about last week. So I'm feeling a little silly, but looking at that offense there, what do we, so, so I guess to, to start to throw out a stat, uh, Darnold has 300 plus in three straight games and he now has five rushing touchdowns on the season. Lex, I'm going to throw it to you first. Cause I took that from your notes. What are we feeling about Darnold and the matchup this week? Yeah, I still think the Carolina offense has some pretty good potential this year. I'm not going to wipe off one game where they had a lot of garbage time production. I think Dallas has been playing pretty well. Philly is kind of weird because, you know, for so long with Jim Schwartz, we got used to teams not being able to run against them and just serving as the pass funnel. But this year they've been able to be run on. And so Dak and Mahomes, who uh, they just faced, neither of them put up like huge volume days. They were just very efficient just because both their teams were able to run so much on the ground too. So I think this is still a pretty good spot for Darnold, even if we haven't seen like big numbers pop there. Um, if McCaffrey is playing, I mean, maybe there's a little bit less pass volume just because they're trying to control the game on the ground more, but I don't think Hubbard's just going to get the kind of, you know, 20 attempt total type game that McCaffrey would. So that probably helps Darnold out in this spot. Uh, I think we're still dealing with, you know, limited information just because the the whole new coaching staff for Philly this year, but they've been underperforming relative to Vegas expectations. And I think that chiefs game is, I think it's the product of the chiefs more than, you know, anything else. Like, I guess that's more the offensive side of the ball. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but uh, I mean, Mahomes had pretty much anything he wanted. So I, I <laughs> Darnold's no Mahomes, but it's, it's not a, it's not as scary as it might seem just looking at like box scores. Just thoughts on Darnold and his matchup with the Philly D. Well, Philly D is, well, basically, if you look at, I've been, I kind of created a DSR chart in the workbook this week and was looking at net drive success rates. Um, Carolina's offense is tied for the second best net do, uh, drive success rate. So that would kind of lead me to think that Darnold's going to have some success here. I mean, he's, he's got those schemed looks in the green zone running in touchdowns, especially if, uh, CMC is out, then he might be Sam, Sam Newton again. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. He's leading the league in rushing touchdowns. That's crazy. And then, like you said, three straight 300 yard passing games. Um, I don't know. He's set up pretty well. And the way, the way Philly's playing too, they're playing stationary corners. So if, if Brady's scheming his receivers, he can kind of avoid slay and maybe go at the other guys a little bit more slay has been playing pretty good. Um, and he's lining up. I think he's on the, the right side most of the time. So he can go after Nelson and Maddox. And I, I think Donald can do well. Um, 
and it's going to come down to the running game. I mean, if they get CMC back, maybe that'll cut a little bit off of Darnold's plate. But for now, I would say he's he's the the driver of the offense for now. Yeah, and even with that, I'm not sure. I don't know how much that takes off Darnold's plate necessarily if they're using CMC in the pass game like they are. Sure. Uh, but so with that, you know, talking about pass catchers, DJ Moore, clearly the alpha in this offense. He's going to be no surprise after having the big week that he did. Robbie Anderson, who had only seen a handful of targets to this point, saw his first high target game in 11. Maybe that's a little bit of a uh, a garbage time thing. But what do we think in terms of pass catchers? Are we going back to the well on DJ Moore and the other guys in that pass catching offense? Um, I think I'll say about Anderson. I mean, maybe he projects better than I think after, you know, having 11 targets last week, but neither him nor Marshall has really seen in any kind of usage that you need, um, on your roster and Philly on top of it is, you know, they're forcing like a pretty shallow a dot, which, uh, benefits, um, more, more than it does Anderson. So I, I think more is a guy I'd be looking to, I mean, his targets have been super consistent, um, in both kinds of game scripts and, uh, like Jess said, he's going to get moved around. He's not going to be probably lined up with Slay every time. I mean, even last week, like, you know, Hilo pointed out, he wasn't even shattered by Tremont Diggs. So I think that Moore is the most interesting if you're looking at this game, especially in a like game stack environment, like expecting this game to be have some scoring. So he would be my favorite Panther. Uh, I just think it's a pretty good spot where like some receivers have had success and, um, Unless McCaffrey's playing, Moore's target volume is going to be pretty high this week, I think. Yeah, with the way Philly's defense runs, I mean, they're they're trying to keep the shell over the top and limit explosive plays. And that's going to put more onto DJ Moore's plate because they're, they're being really creative with the way they're scheming him looks like one of the touchdowns he caught last week, he was lined up in the backfield. Um, they've got him running all over the place, trying to take advantage of defenses like this that that try and just sit there in a zone and keep you from getting over the top they're trying to weave more through the zones and stuff and get him open and schemed looks so he's obviously set up in a good spot here uh and i think the whole field is going to have that same certainty so if you're trying if you're you know like larejo willing to lose maybe this is the week you try and throw in Robbie Anderson last week, there was a comment that came out from Sam Darnold where he was talking about him and Anderson were working between practices. They're trying to get Robbie Anderson back up to speed and involved in the game. And he tried, I mean, he threw at him 11 times, but his over the top nature is not great for this setup, but if they maybe run him in some more intermediate routes, then maybe you can get something out of Robbie is like a leverage play against the field. Who's going to be heavy on more this week, but I don't know. It, this sets up for more in my opinion. Yeah. And to just from the eye test for what it's worth, I mean, he looked damn good. I watched some of the game and I mean, Darnold just seems to, they seem to have a connection and it seems like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a Stafford cup situation where we might not have to get off of them <laughs> because there, there just is that, uh, that repertoire between them. So yeah, definitely interesting there before we, hit the other side of the ball talking about CMC. If he's not coming back, are we interested in Hubbard? The Eagles are 28th in defensive rush DVOA right now, as Lex was kind of alluding to before. So 
Lex, what do you think if CMC doesn't play? Yeah, I mean, without knowing his price or projection or anything, I mean, the spot is very nice. All these teams have kind of pushed around Philly's defensive line. And um, Hubbard has been pretty effective. I mean, I think I, I wrote he has like 24 attempts for 109 yards and CMC went down. So like nothing crazy, but he's been, you know, effective for them. And if CMC is not playing, he's going to get a majority of the touches. Uh, so I, I like the spot. I think we expect Carolina to have more control of this game than they did last week for Dallas, which would benefit, you know, the game script for Hubbard. So I, I like the spot for him. I, I think it sets up really nice. And like you were saying, they've been very weak in rushing defensive DVOA so far. Yeah. And with Hubbard, I mean, it, I'm looking at the workbook and it looks like Philly is fourth worst against running back rushes as far as fantasy points allowed. So that's kind of their, their biggest glaring weakness. So if they can get Hubbard going on the ground, that would be helpful. Uh, you probably don't have Rodney Smith coming in and stealing five targets because that was the way to go against Dallas was the throw to the running back. Kind of thought Hubbard might get some of that. And then surprise, it's Rodney Smith. <laughs> uh, but yeah, running the ball against Philly has been pretty good. I think what uh, what I'm seeing or what I'm reading is that they're basically, they're trying to use all their defensive linemen and all these multiple roles and some of them aren't comfortable with it. So you're going to catch Philly's defense off guard sometimes when you got somebody kind of playing like maybe with a little bit of hesitation in their head, they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do or whatnot. They're rotating their defensive line frequently trying to keep them fresh. So I think the defensive line, what used to be a strength for them is kind of until they figure out Gannon's scheme, it's kind of worth attacking for now. Yep. All right. With that, let's head over to the other side of the ball. And speaking of quarterback receiver connections, Jalen Hurts and Devonte are uh, Devonte Smith are really hooking up and continuing to look good themselves. What are we looking at on this side of the ball? Hurts to his pass catchers and this Carolina defense that has been strong and gave a little way to Dallas. Lex, why don't you start us off here? Yeah, Carolina is still playing pretty well. Um, Dak had more success than any of the previous quarterbacks. Um, but I still think, I mean, they're going to, they obviously were, that was their first game without JC Horn. They traded for Henderson like a week or two ago, and now they're going to get Gilmer in a couple of weeks. So I think it's a tougher spot for Hertz passing. I mean, you're coming off a chiefs defense that looks like they can't defend anyone to this defense. And um, all the cornerbacks are very fast which I think is going to be a problem for guys like the Quez Watkins or Devante. It's just going to make it harder for them to have one of those bigger plays. Uh, they've had, there's been some receivers with success against Carolina. So it's, it's certainly not possible for Devante Smith to have a great game. Uh, I just don't think it's, it's definitely not the easiest setup. Both of his good games so far have come against weak defenses in the chiefs and the Falcons. And he was struggling more in the other two. So I think this game is more, about if Hertz can use his legs or not. I'm not sure if it's going to be the easiest day for him through the air, just with how Carolina has been playing and the kind of pressure they've been getting, because I think, I mean, I don't know if it's going to carry over to this week, but Philly was missing like four of their five offensive linemen last week and chiefs just have no one that's creating pressure right now, but Carolina has been one of the best pressure teams in football so far this year. Yeah, and they might get uh, Mylotta back, possibly Lane Johnson. I was reading this morning that Johnson was supposed to be back at the facility today, and then there were reports that came out after that said that he won't. But that would definitely help if they get both of their tackles back. Um, I was kind of watching some of the condensed games today, too, and I was noticing Hurts. He seems to, to have minimal progressions, or he's predetermining his read at the snap. 
So if Carolina's picking up on that, maybe they can play some disguise and mess with him a little bit. And basically, if he's not seeing what he wants to see, he's taken off and running. He's trying to do a lot on his own instead of kind of trusting the, the scheme and his guys right now. A lot of their completions are just coming on screens, little underneath routes. They got guys running across the formation, like behind the line or shallow coming across the formation to try and get somebody open. So a lot of his stuff is tends to be short and then the occasional deep shot to Smith or Quez or something. Yeah. And actually on that, like, so they've been getting a lot of their production through yards after the catch and Carolina is allowing, like, I think the third lowest yards after catch right now, third fewest. So that's not a great spot for what the Eagles have been trying to do over the first month. I think it's interesting with, with that considered and the kind of like you were mentioning, just the pressure situation too. Yeah, could just be an interesting spot here to see what Hurts and the Eagles offense are able to do. I think part of that might fall a little bit on play calling if they you know, are adaptable enough to understand that they're going to have a little bit of a more difficult time this week or are going to, I guess, like you were saying, just still have these kind of quick hitting uh, pass plays, probably trying more of that. If we're feeling a little hesitant about that, are we feeling any better about the tight ends or... Are we moving to the run game and what does that look like? Well, the run game is the, the weakest spot for Carolina. If you look at what Dallas was able to do to them, uh, Philly doesn't even bother to run. You've got 13 carries between Sanders and Gainwell over the last two weeks, total of 13. So I don't know if Philly's going to try and run the ball. It probably wouldn't hurt if they do try. Uh, one of the plays I was watching against the 49ers where kind of going back to Hertz trying to do so much on his own. It was a goal line carry that should have went to miles Sanders looked like he probably could have gotten the end zone and Hertz pulls it out of his belly and tries to run it in himself and got stuffed. Um, you mentioned the tight ends. I was looking at, at targets and snaps and stuff. And it kind of looks like maybe Ertz is pulling ahead. Like he's out targeted Goddard for the past two weeks after both of them having just two targets in week two. So Ertz kind of looks interesting if you're going the tight end route, which is where, you lost Shaq Thompson this week on Carolina's defense. So yeah, perhaps the tight ends and the running backs are the the best way to go for Philly, but I don't know if they're going to try and do that. They should um, also on one of Sanders carries late in the game last week, it looked like he was frustrated because he broke off. Maybe it was a pass. I can't remember. It was something down the left sideline. He got the ball and at the end he runs out of bounds and he kind of spikes the ball pissed off. Like, see, this is what I can do. Why aren't you giving me the ball? So you might have an angry Sanders. I don't know if they're going to give him the ball or not, but he's really interesting. And that's another play that the field's going to feel like, no, they don't give him the ball. He's not getting carries. He's not really getting targets. Gainwell's getting all the targets because they're playing from behind. So that could be a leverage spot if everybody's really into hurts in the passing game here, which doesn't set up as well as the running game does. Maybe you can sneak in some Sanders at low ownership and he finally has a good game. Who knows? It's going to take a big run. He's going to have to get like a 70 yard touchdown or so to, to really make that score pay off for you, but he's capable. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just definitely a weird spot. I mean, Carolina just got like rocked by the Dallas run game, but they were also like shut down the, you know, the new Orleans one a couple of weeks ago before that. So it's, I think it just depends on the, the, the play of the Philly line and how healthy they are this week. And then yeah. the two running backs, like Jess was saying, they're just splitting so much usage right now. It's kind of, you're kind of banking on just either Sanders kind of getting his touches, his touch share back 
and maybe Gainwell getting those that usage last week just because of the game script or something. But it's just it's kind of hard to peg right now with the way you know Sanders has what nine attempts in the last two weeks. So it's just very weird spot right now. Um, I probably like the tight ends the best in this game just because um, I mean we just saw Dallas have success against them. They haven't really faced met many uh, good tight ends yet this year. And Ertz and Goddard are the two guys in the passing game after Devontae Smith. Both guys have like 50 plus yards in the last two weeks. I mean, Goddard had a touchdown that was called back. that kept him from two touchdowns last week. So both of them are out. Oh, Ertz had another end zone look that he, that he dropped. So like both guys are getting looks in the end zone. They're getting consistent targets for the most part. So if I'm like looking at this game, it's probably mostly through like DJ Moore and maybe the Philly tight ends or something like that. Yeah, it sounds about right here. There's not a, a, a ton of bankable stuff outside of those guys. I think that'll kind of do it for this game. Unless you guys have any other thoughts, I feel like that's uh, we covered most of it. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. All right. So moving on along to Tennessee at Jacksonville. So... This game is a story of two poor defenses and offenses that have also had some struggles early, but they absolutely have offensive pieces to produce. And we're actually dealing with relatively narrow distribution of touches. So let's dig into those a little bit and see if we can grab anything that's exciting enough from a DFS perspective. Uh, Let's, because we... Uh, know them a little bit more. Let's actually start with the Tennessee side of the ball. Obviously, we got a, another Derrick Henry smash spot, a potential smash spot here against a Jacksonville Rundy uh, that shouldn't really be able to hold up. So, Lex, thoughts on Henry in this situation? I mean, yeah, I think we can expect another big Henry volume game just because Tennessee should be able to have control of this game just with how weak Jacksonville's defense is as a whole. Um, they've actually been surprisingly better than I like would have thought. I mean, neither like Mixon or Edmonds, the Denver guys, like nobody really popped off against his defense. Even Ingram had like, I think like 25 or six attempts to get to like 80 yards. So they've been actually more efficient versus the run than I, than I think people are thinking as a whole. But I mean, Henry still has a chance to get, you know, 30 attempts, especially if the receivers are out again, you know, they're just going to keep feeding him. So, I mean, I think, I mean, Henry still sets up well. He's a home favorite. He had a 200 yard game versus Jacksonville last year. And it's not like they've changed too much personnel wise on that side of the ball. Um, But I do like, I think the passing game has a little bit of a softer matchup actually than Henry this week. It's just going to be a little bit weirder to attack again without like maybe the top two receivers. Although AJ Brown did practice today, I think in like limited capacity. Yeah, I saw AJ Brown practice, so we'll see if he comes back. Uh, still no word on Julio. It'd be nice if one of those guys can come back. That would open it up for Henry. Um, Jacksonville's allowed the six most fantasy points to running backs rushing and the six most run plays against uh, some of that likely due to, you know, they're, they're behind and the team that they're is beating them is trying to run out the clock, but yeah, it, it sets up for, yeah, like you said, another high volume Henry game, um, you know, probably hundred yards, two touchdowns is what you're shooting for on that. I haven't looked at salary yet or ownership, but I mean, he's got to be one of the, the top on the slate again this week. 
Yeah, I think it's definitely, if he scores, it'll be definitely with the touchdowns. Not, not just because that's what you need with Henry at his price, but also like Jacksonville as a whole hasn't allowed that many yards necessarily to the position, but they've allowed a bunch of touchdowns already to running backs. Right. Cause if you're, if you're able to get thrown all over, you're going to have a pretty good chance to be in the, the red zone and the green zone. So yeah, speaking of what's our uh, Tennessee pass catching situation looking like versus this porous Jacksonville pass defense. Well, with Julio and AJB out, um, it looked like Rogers, Reynolds, and McNichols were the ones getting the targets in crunch time. Everybody was high on uh, Nick Westbrook, Klein, or whatever his name is. Uh, watching the the fourth quarter of that game, it looked like Tannehill was all over Rogers, Reynolds, and McNichols. Uh, then that McNichols stuff too is kind of scary for Derrick Henry. I mean, he still had a nice catch and run and was still getting a couple of targets, but McNichols had 12 targets out of the backfield. So is he going to start cutting into to Henry's workload? And then Evans is back at practice this week too, and could be eligible to come off of IR. Uh, one thing I, I did pick up uh, reading one of Wes Huber's articles was that Tannehill has thrown 30 touchdowns and he's ranked six best in fantasy points per drop back heading into last week against cover one defenses. I believe it was cover one defense, basically whatever defense that Jacksonville's playing the most of. So he has a chance to tear them up in the passing game. If he's got pass catchers, AJ Brown coming back would look really good for him there. Um, otherwise the, the pass catchers, Rogers Reynolds and McNichols, like he was going to him, but I don't think you're going to get DFS winning like slate breaking scores out of those guys. So you, I think we need AJB back if we're looking at anything from the passing game here. Yeah, I think this is probably as good a spot as any that they'll have all season in terms of getting leverage off Henry through Tannehill, just in terms of like the matchup itself. Jacksonville's allowing the second highest yards per attempt. Um, so even though Tannehill's, you know, not throwing very many passes per game, they're still just getting torched by all these quarterbacks who are, none of them have even topped 34 attempts and yet. I think all of them are over 300 yards except Tyrod with like 291. So they're just getting lit up on the back end. They're not getting any pressure. They have five sacks on the season, which are the fewest in the NFL. And the only two games where like Tannehill has been like the whole Tennessee offense has been kind of horrendous was Tannehill was sacked 13 times versus the Jets and the Cardinals. So like, I doubt, I don't expect that to happen this week. Um, I still think it's important to realize that Tannehill's only had these big games with Tennessee in games where the other side's been able to keep pace and like force them into high volume, like big scoring games, um, which I think we'll get into on the Jacksonville offensive side, which I definitely think is a possibility in this game for building around it. Uh, so I really like the Tennessee passing game, but obviously you have to keep in mind that it, you kind of have a built-in expectation that Jacksonville is succeeding as well, just to get the volume you need. Um, but yeah, just like I said, great, great, great spot for Tannehill. With that, I think you you kind of served it up. Perfect segue to the other side of the ball because, right, if we're looking at these Tennessee pieces, especially if you're going to spend salary on Henry or even if you're going to try to leverage the field by playing Tannehill and a pass catcher, you're, you're kind of banking on at least some fight from the Jacksonville offense. So as we've talked about a little bit on here so far, in the past couple of weeks, Tennessee defense, not great. Uh, one of the stats I got up here from you, Lex, is that they rank 24th in defensive rush DVOA. 
and we got J Rob kind of like back in the game. Uh, what are we looking at from the Jacksonville offense and how are we thinking they're going to keep pace? If, if so, uh, I think it's a little scary that they haven't topped 21 points yet in four games, but this is also the easiest matchup they face. Tennessee's allowed more than 27, three times already. Um, they're not getting a ton of pressure. They're not forcing a lot of turnovers. So I think this is probably the easiest spot Lawrence will be in all season so far. Uh, I, I like James Robinson, assuming that we can expect him to get, you know, the majority of the work. It's still going to be a little unclear just because Hyde was, you know, late scratch last week due to some shoulder injury. If he's coming in and still taking like 10 attempts a game, then that's a bigger worry, especially when we do expect Jacksonville to most likely be trailing in this game. Um, but I don't think them trailing is much of an issue if Robinson's dominating the workload because he is getting used in the past game a little bit last year, he was used quite a bit in the past game. Uh, Tennessee, like you said, is not good against the run. They've already allowed a bunch of yards to a few guys this year. So I, I really like the spot for Robinson. I think that even if they're trailing, he can still have a nice game. And then, yeah, Jess, if you have stuff that you want to add about Robinson before we get into the pass catchers, then I'm all ears. Um, yeah, a little, little bit to add here, uh, on the Mac, looking at the the top and the pace chart here jacksonville runs pretty quick pace obviously playing from behind but tennessee is also allowing a pretty quick pace so we could see a few extra plays out of jacksonville in this game and then like you were mentioning that there's uh jacksonville and tennessee neither team is that great but both of them are good enough to put up just a little bit of resistance to each other and i think those are the kind of game environments that we want we want that not to be so easy to score that you're getting out to a big lead and then pulling back on the reins. Uh, I think these two teams are both going to have to go full gas pedal the whole game. So kind of looking at DSR on this, you, you've got a good shot for that to happen. Um, looking at the O-line D-line metrics, uh, Jaguars have the ninth best net adjusted line yards matchup this week. So that definitely favors James Robinson here. And then the O-line and the run game have been really productive for Jacksonville when they've been given the chance. They kind of got off to a slow start because Meyer wasn't really running the ball. And then even Lawrence is scrambling and kind of his rollouts and stuff to, to keep the defenses guessing. Like they, they don't know if they're going to have to protect against a, a different launch point or if they're going to get a run right up the gut. So I, I think there's a lot to like here as far as James Robinson as a play in this game. Yeah. James Robinson is good. Like he's, he should be getting the majority of this backfield like workload. It's, it's crazy that he started off the season, not, but I mean, he's, he's in a good spot. He's a very talented player. He checks a lot of the boxes that you'd want in that sense. And then like Jess was saying, Lawrence using his legs, um, that's huge because even just adding like a couple points a game on the ground, you know, it just, it just builds in an extra, you know, a couple of points to the, towards that ceiling every week. Um, Zach Wilson, who's looked terrible, you know, in those tough matchups had his best game of the season versus defense last week. So there's no reason to believe that Lawrence can as well. I mean, outside of all the urban Meyer shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Robinson thing is interesting to me. I think a lot of people will be kind of wary if Hyde comes back and you're definitely embracing some uncertainty there. Uh, it's kind of hoping that, you know, you're kind of betting on, uh, talent and smart coaching there, but, uh, yeah, I just think that's, that's interesting with him because I don't think he'll be very heavily owned, but it's obviously a good spot, 
especially if they can keep pace and they aren't getting blown out. Lexa, do you have something else to add? Uh, no, I was going to say, I mean, as we'll kind of get into the receivers and like stacking in this game, like I think he can pair well with like the Tennessee passing game as like, you know, you're playing it kind of, you know, the story you're telling maybe is Jacksonville has more success in the ground and then Tennessee is going through the air. So I like the spot for Robinson. And then I don't know if you have a lead into the receivers, but I, I think Jones and Jones especially has a really nice spot here. Oh, I got a lead in Lex. (laughs) Um, So we've got only Atlanta allowing more wide receiver DK points than Tennessee in 2020. And already in 2021, five wide receivers have scored 20 plus DK points. Add on to that, we've got Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault who have been getting significant targets and now Chark is out for the year. I teed you up. What do we, what do you got? <laughs> I, I think, I mean, Chark's injury, especially that should only push more volume to Jones, not just because they lost Chark. I mean, Jones is already the number one, but they don't really have guys that can slot in. I mean, I think Tavon Austin played like 80% of the snaps last week. So they don't really have receivers that are going to necessarily dominate usage. I think it's going to mostly flow through Jones and LaVisca. Maybe LaVisca's role changes slightly and he can be used a little bit more downfield. Uh, but Jones has already, you know, had some nice games this year. He he didn't do anything last week after Shark went out, which was kind of weird. But I mean, this matchup, like you said, they've been getting crushed by receivers. Both of these teams have been getting crushed by receivers. I think that's why I like both passing games so much. I think, like you said, five 20 plus point DK point receivers on both sides, like versus both defenses so far. So I really like the spot for Jones. I think he can pair well with, you know, with a Henry or with like a Tannehill, like any of that kind of stuff. So I think this is like a dream matchup for Jacksonville in terms of like their season so far. And I actually really like Chenault in this matchup too. Uh, Titans have allowed the most fantasy points through the slot receiver so far this year with 31.4. Christian Kirk went off against him, Tyler Lockett. Then they had the Colts in week three that didn't really have anybody. And then uh, Crowder showed up last week. So if, if they're keeping Chanel in the slot, he's in a good spot. And then one of their beat reporters tweeted out something and I retweeted it during weeks one through three, Chanel's ADOT was 5.3. Soon as Shark goes down, that spikes to 13.4. He made that huge play on the the Lawrence rollout and he had two targets over 25, which definitely helped him get to that 13.4 ADOT. Um, but then you look at Jones, he kind of went the opposite way. One through three, his ADOT was 12.8. And then last week he drops down to 6.3. I think there's a, a correction coming for him as well. Like he might step into that shark role because he's been a deep threat in the past. So he, he can still take those long routes and get some shots downfield too. But, uh, I, I don't know. Tavon Austin seemed to directly replace shark last week at the X. I, I don't know if they're going to run that again. I kind of feel like when they were talking about playing Austin, I thought they were talking about maybe having him play the role that Etienne was supposed to play, but <laughs> he came in and played the X, which was kind of head scratching. And also you've got Tyron Johnson and uh, Meyer said it's time for him before last week's game. And then he comes out and wasn't even targeted, played nine snaps. So is it time for him? I mean, what are we doing with Tyron Johnson here? So there's a lot to like here. I, I really do like Chenault's spot in this game just because of what slot receivers have done to them in the past. Uh, but definitely yeah, Marvin Jones, he's, he was the the guy that Lawrence was looking for early and often when he, in those first couple of games in preseason. So both of those guys look good. And I mean, if you want to go passing route, then that's, that's a full passing stack right there. Go Lawrence Jones, Chenault, and you got a pretty good lineup. 
Yeah. So I think as a whole, the way I'm thinking about this game is like the obvious ways to, that they can fail are, you know, the quarterbacks are inefficient. They struggle a bit. I mean, Tannehill might still be down those two receivers. Lawrence has had struggles so far in his career. Maybe Tennessee just gives it to Henry 35 times and there's just not enough volume for everyone else to go around. Um, but if it goes right, I mean, all the receivers are in plus matchups. The quarterbacks are in great spots. Both quarterbacks carry rushing ability. Um, there's narrow distributions for the wide receivers. Like if one of Julio or Brown plays and then between Jones and Visca, I think like just saying with Tyron Johnson, um, he's definitely their really their only deep threat on their team, especially with Charka. I mean, Jones can, but like, he's not really a burner. Um, so like Tyron Johnson kind of offers something that the other guys don't. And then also what I'll say about Jones is we haven't seen it yet this year with Lawrence, but he's shown like huge ceiling in his career. I mean, just last year versus Tennessee team, he had like over 30 DK points. So like, we know he can put up big games. Like he's had plenty in his career. So I really like the spot if you're, you know, building on the, you know, the game flow, of this game to be a lot of success to the air. Well, and the Jags have the sixth best net adjusted sack rate this week too. And urban is moving Lawrence around. He's rolling out they're scrambling him. So, I mean, it, he may not see pressure, but I still think they changed that launch spot. So it, yeah, everything is set up. Every single position here is pretty much set up for a good game. Like this could be one of the blow up games possibly goes overlooked where people just kind of write it off as well. Henry's going to smash. I'll just play Henry and move on to other games kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I like it a lot. It was a get right spot for the Jets and Zach Wilson. I, I definitely think it can be the same for Lawrence. Yeah. Cool. So a question I have for you guys is with that, with Marvin Jones and Visca, I mean, is there, I guess, two piece question. Is there a world in which neither of them score 20 plus and are they viable together as a block? And I haven't looked at salary. I don't know what that looks like, but just in a, in a vacuum, at least, is there enough points to go around to those guys? I don't know what their price is like in relative to like how the Jets guys were last week and Davis and Crowder. Um, but I do think with the lack of other guys, I mean, even though we just all the positive things we said about Tyron Johnson, I mean, he still has what, like maybe one or zero targets on the year. So it certainly could flow like, you know, 60, 70% through those guys, like if everything goes right. So I think it's possible. I mean, I don't know. I, I it's, it's, we're dealing with so little information on this team. I mean, it's literally like a four game sample and this is the only real plus plus matchup they've had. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't see like, why not if the if price consideration wise. Right. And with shark being down, I mean, it, it puts your two best players on the outside as well. Chenault will be on the inside too, but as Jones and Chenault, Robinson can play a little bit in the passing game, but they're not really using the running backs that much in that aspect. So it's totally possible. Yeah. 60% of the passes flow to Chanel and, and Marvin Jones. So it's not absurd. Yeah. They can fail. Um, both of them also really could hit 20 points in this game. So I think to finish us off, I'll just say that I think this is a game that's really interesting from a, uh, if you're, if you're running multiple lineups in tournaments to just play this a handful of different ways, uh, and just make sure you are running a consistent story through that. And also I forgot what I was going to say for the second point. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a high total game. It's 48 and a half. I'm, I'm looking at now. So, I mean, they, they do expect scoring in this game. Yeah. And spread of four. So it's within a touchdown. It's yeah. I, it, this was funny. This was the game that like when we picked the games, I was looking forward to researching the least and I came <laughs> out most excited about this game of the three that we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's, that's kind of, you know, why we're doing this though. Right. And it's kind of a testament to the, the point of having this podcast is because these teams aren't exciting, right? They're not like Tennessee. Yeah, sure. A little bit, but but like you said, Jess, it can be very one dimensional in terms of like, okay, I'm just going to run out Henry and he's going to smash and like, I'll take that and move on. Uh, so yeah, I think there's, it's really interesting. And I didn't remember my second point. So we are going to move on to the next game here. You guys bought me some time. I appreciate it, but uh, <laughs> no good. All right. So yeah, to finish this off today, we've got the giants at the Cowboys. Obviously, we talked about the Cowboys a little bit uh, in these past two games because they were the opponents of both the Eagles and the Panthers in subsequent weeks. And then we kind of have a a Giants team here who is it's just kind of like a, a who are they and who's healthy. They're they're kind of starting to show a little bit more of at least what's possible for them. We're not quite sure if that can be consistent, but Saquon looked like himself last week. They uh, had some plays in the past game. So looking at this, do we think the, the giants can hang and, or at least do they have enough viability from kind of a, uh, a game or sorry, a garbage time standpoints, but let's start with the Dallas O because they are a little bit more of the known here. And to start us off, I'll just kind of mention how, the this offense has looked quite different over these past three games as opposed to the five games with McCarthy prior to that where they were you know Dak through I, I was actually surprised Lex looking at your notes Dak Dak through for 400 plus in a handful of those and now he's been a little bit more limited he is like his his volume has been really low so what do we know at least so far about the Dallas offense and how are we playing that against this Giants D? I think it's like we've been saying they're adaptable. Like, I don't want to just say like now they're going to be run only and Dak's never going to top 27 pass attempts again. Um, but I do think that they've focused more on the run game with Gallup going down. And then also their offensive line is so much healthier than it was last year. And they've just been bullying these fronts. Um none of them have been great run defenses. So it's been, you know, they've been able to better attack like the chargers and the Eagles on the ground, just because the matchups have set up that way. But their offensive line, like I said, is really just running through guys right now, which is good for Zeke and Pollard. So I'm a little worried about Dallas's pass volume overall. Um, I think the giants have been pretty weak first quarterback so far. They ranked 24th in defensive pass DVOA. Dak's been very consistent in his career as a home favorite. So I think the matchup is nice. Um, but I'm, I'm a little worried that right now you're still having to bank on, you know, high efficiency. Like last week, he, he had the four touchdowns to put up a nice score, had a nice little scamper on the ground, but he still only threw, I think it was like, you know, 20 something times and only threw for 188 yards. So that's what you'd be a little bit scared about right now. Um, the giants still have some talented guys in the secondary. And, um, if the giant, if the Cowboys are able to continue rolling on the ground, like they've been, um, then I, I'm definitely a little concerned about just the pass volume. 
Right. I think this one can be pretty evenly matched up early on. Like both teams are allowing a lot of yards per drive. Dallas is a little bit tighter when it gets to scoring. Um, but the metrics, I mean, they, they really do set up for Zeke here. Uh, Dallas has the second highest net drive success rate. They're third, uh, third in net yards, fourth in net points. And then you look at the, the O-line situation. They've got the top net adjusted line yards on the slate with 5.11 or 5.11 yards. Uh, and then they also have the fifth best net adjusted sack rate. So they're really going to be able to do whatever they want to do in this game. If they choose to just run the ball and pound the ball and get out of this one, uh, th- then we could be seeing suppressed DAC attempts again. Um, but I mean, you have two pretty big games from Zeke in a row. So it's like, do you want to keep smashing that? I mean, are they going to run them till the wheels fall off or what is, I mean, it's going to be a long season at some point. They're going to have to scale him back a little bit. Maybe this isn't that time, especially with the the setup, the way it is, but I don't know. Zeke looks like he's in a great spot here and this looks like it could be a nice back and forth game for, you know, at least the first half before Dallas kind of starts to pull away. Well, and with that too, it's, you know, it sets up for the Dallas run game. Well, but hasn't Zeke been, pretty damn efficient as it is. Like, it's not like, you know, he's not having that same kind of Zeke volume that we were used to before. So there's still always that. Yeah. I mean, Pollard's definitely, I mean, he's getting like 11 and 13, 11, 10 rush attempts in the last three games. So he's definitely getting used. Zeke's only had, you know, 16, 17, 20 in those games, but like you said, very efficient. Um, But that's just what you're banking on right now is him getting in the end zone and putting up a lot of yards, but the matchup definitely is, and good one for him. So with that, going back to what you were kind of saying, Lex, about the extreme efficiency, especially last week, I think people are going to have very fresh in their minds. Like, oh, I played Amari Cooper, Dalton Schultz, and I, I hit, and, and that's great. But if they're not really digging into things, they're not really looking at it, they're not going to see that it took that extreme efficiency for those guys to hit. So I think for me, it's kind of interesting to potentially not crossing them off, but potentially look at fading those guys where others might see them as uh, still having kind of this, you know, just this assumption that the the Dallas is, you know, they're passing a lot and uh, they're getting high volume, but what do we think about the matchup and uh, yeah, any comments on the volume stuff? I think it's concerning that like in the last few games, Cooper and Lamb are averaging like four and six targets a game respectively. Uh, so it's, you know, limiting, it's capping their ceiling a bit. The some receivers have had success versus the giants. Like Judy was on his way to a nice day before getting hurt. McLaurin obviously had a really nice one, um, but this isn't necessarily a team we were attacking with wide receivers last year. And um, it looks like they're starting to get better kind of as the season's going along, but that also could have been, you know, some of it as opponent. Um, but I, I think if, if Dallas is going to play, let's say the game plays out the same way that the previous games had, then it's, it's really concerning for these receivers and like kind of the ceiling that you need if you want to roster them in a tournament. Right. Um, kind of still sticking with the running game and then I'll go to the, to the pass game really quick. Leonard Williams missed practice. So that's another uh, boost for Dallas's run game. Um, looking at like stuff on the workbook, I'm looking at, the the Giants are allowing the fourth most fantasy points to tight ends receiving, and that's 23 points a game, and the second most targets at nine per game. So 
Dalton Schultz, like he hit that one week, two weeks ago. And then I, I kind of mentioned him last week as far as like how Carolina defends the ball and it might filter in through the tight ends and was wondering whether or not Jarwin would kind of step up his role a little bit and pick anything off of there. I think Jarwin had a touchdown called back or maybe he caught one too or something, but I don't know. Schultz has had two good weeks in a row. Um, he's led the Cowboys in targets for each of the last two games. So he might be somebody that if the the running game is going and it gets down to like third and goal, he's who they're looking at. Um, the, I don't know, just the tight end sets up really well in this game for against that Giants defense. And then something uh, as far as like the receivers go at some point, lamb's going to break out again. Um, now Cooper's dealing with a hamstring injury. He's got the ribs. He's got the, the hamstring now. So it, it, lamb could come out of nowhere with a huge game here. And everybody's looking at recent stats and looking at, like I said, Schultz has led the, the team in targets for the past two weeks. So it could be just one of those out of nowhere games where lamb ends up just smashing everything. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if Cooper's banged up, then that will just help uh, Lamb even more. On um, the tight ends, totally agree with everything you're saying. This is a smash spot so far this season for tight ends, just with how much, how many touchdowns and like kind of production they've been allowing to that position. And Schultz has three games already with six catches, so you know he's he's getting used like more than the receivers lately. Uh, so yeah. I like that spot. There's one thing I wanted to add about Zeke. So this is I'll preface it with small sample size over the course of a few different seasons. So take it with a grain of salt, but so far in Ezekiel Elliott's career, when Dallas has been a home favorite, like eight times um, of seven plus points. So like a touchdown favorite, he's had like three big scores, like 28, 30 and 30. And then four, but like below average scores. And in those below average scores, like Pollard had a hundred yard game and a touchdown and Dak ran one in Dak had a 405 yard, 404 touchdown game. Um, Dak had a rushing touchdown in another one of those games. Dak had 303. Like, so basically what I'm trying to say is if Zeke is not having production in those games, somebody else in this offense is So, like, basically when Vegas has been pegging Dallas as a big home favorite, um, they've been putting up a lot of points and it's going to go through somebody, if not Zeke, um, usually Dak. So I, I just found that really interesting again, small sample, um, but so far, Vegas has been pretty accurate with Dallas scoring a lot of points when they're as a home favorite. Yeah, Good one point. just one more thing I was going to add before we kind of flip over to the other side of the ball. I think like with, you know, talking about Dalton Schultz and the tight end set up here, I think depending on the type of player you are, the uncertainty you're willing to embrace and like field size and stuff like that. I think Jarwin is is viable for somebody that nobody will be on. Uh, he's still seeing the field. He's not, you know, he's not getting the targets that Schultz is, but I think he's been at what kind of, he's averaging like three or four a game, I think. Um, so anyways, just, you know, definitely more risk involved there, but thought he's at least worth mentioning. Um, if you know, two, two touchdowns happen to flow his way. All right, let's hop over to the other side of the ball. So we've got uh, we, we've got Daniel Jones again that we got to look at and figure out if he is going to produce with his legs and his arm. Uh, Je- or sorry, Lex. One of the things you had mentioned in your notes is that just very low DK scores for Daniel Jones as a road dog. So kind of lead that in there. Yeah, I actually had that same exact stat last week because he was going into New Orleans as a road dog. And he, of course, put up a really big score. Um, and now a lot of that came in the fourth quarter, like in the last six minutes and then overtime. That's when he got a lot of those points. Um, 
but yeah, it's been an interesting thing to follow just how poorly New York has performed on the road with Jones and Garrett. Uh, but I think this Dallas defense is probably going to be a little overrated after how they've been so far, just because they were so bad last year that some improvement this year is like maybe making people think that they've been actually good and they still allow a lot of production. Now, Darnold got a lot of that in garbage time. Hertz got a lot of that in garbage time. Um, but I do think this is a matchup that Daniel Jones can perform really well in. They got hurt on the ground by some of those guys as well. I mean, Darnold's had the two touchdowns. Hertz had a big day on the ground. We know Daniel Jones in his career has been surprisingly really underrated as a runner. He's produced a lot of his fantasy points in the ground in his career. Uh, that was his first, I think, 300-yard pass game with Jason Garrett. And he and that was like without Shepard and Slayton last week. First, a pretty good defense. So I, I think Jones has been playing really well. His only turnover this year, or at least only interception this year, was a Hail Mary last week, you know, before halftime. So he's protecting the ball. Uh, I, I really like the spot. I, I think that even if they're in, if they're in control of the game, then I think it's probably a product of them performing pretty well in the pass game. Uh, just because I think Saquon's in a good spot, but it's not like it's a, an easier spot for the pass game. And then if they're trailing, obviously, which we expect, I think that just helps its volume and leads to probably a few more scrambles and then a few more deep shots. Uh, and with that receiver room looking pretty good, even less healthy. I mean, Tony came in and looked pretty nice and Galladay's looks like he's getting healthier. So I, I think this is a pretty underrated spot for New York to at least keep pace and turn this into like a kind of a game like last week with Carolina and, and Dallas. Yeah. And, uh, giants that their left tackle mispractice today. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on, but they face a, a net yards per drive of 37.8, which is right behind Dallas. So that's kind of what I'm thinking where this could be a nice back and forth game. Uh, and they're protecting the, actually this, this offense was one that I kind of wanted to target with defenses or just kind of avoid at the start of the year because their offensive line was a mess coming into the season. Uh, they actually have the seventh best net adjusted stack rate on the schedule. Um, and then Dallas is allowing the least amount of run plays per game. So that's kind of going to push more on Daniel Jones's plate. Jones is actually the giants leading rusher. <laughs> and we just saw Sam Darnold run into last week's. So there's a lot of, of indicators that that seem to point to Daniel Jones being able to have a nice game here. Uh, you also got Dal uh, Dallas is allowing the sixth least amount or the, the least amount of run plays, but they're allowing the sixth most running back receiving points. So the, the running backs are getting to them through the passing game. Uh, they're allowing the second most targets. So this sets up well for Barkley too. So that combo of, of Jones and Barkley, which didn't look like it was in a great matchup last week and pulled it off. I mean, they, they kind of, they're in the same matchup again this week against a defense that's really good against the run, uh, maybe a little bit weaker in the passing area. And neither of these teams have really been great at rushing, rushing the passer at all. So this game could set up to, to have a lot of good stuff in here. And then, you know, you got Barkley is getting healthier. He's up from 86 percent of snaps last week to 89% this past week that just happened, uh, handling 90% of the running back opportunities. So there's a lot to like here. Uh, the receivers, they, we're going to have to figure that out because you got Galladay who he's limited with a groin injury. So he, even if he plays, we'll see what Diggs does because he lines up Galladay. It, it's just like the DJ Moore situation, Galladay and Moore kind of split sides of the field. So there he's going to line up. If they keep Diggs stationary, he's going to line up against Diggs a couple or at least half the time 
in this game. Uh, Diggs plays on that right side 65% of the time. So he's moving around. They could choose to trail Galladay with Diggs and take away Jones's best weapon. And if you don't have Slayton back, you don't have Shepard back, then I mean, you're going to have to go to Tony and some of these other guys, which kind of filters more work, in my opinion, to Jones, maybe doing some stuff with his legs, maybe flicking stuff out to, to Saquon Barkley here. Yeah, I saw someone say, like, this is John Ross's uh, time to turn into, like, the Ted Ginn uh, role where he just kind of goes from team to team and serves as that deep threat. Um, but, yeah. he, yeah, he looked good last week. I mean, Tony was really impressive. Uh, that was pretty surprising to me. I mean, he was obviously really good after the catch, which is what we expected for him coming out of college. But, yeah, he played really well. Um, maybe one of those two guys from last week that were out come back. Uh, I really like the spot for those guys. I, I do think it's interesting to – yeah, follow that all week. What we're expecting in terms of Galladay matching up with Trevon Diggs because Diggs has been really, really good this year. Uh, so that's interesting. Going back to Saquon, like Jess was saying, I mean, he's getting all the usage and the touches back. He just performed really well in one of the toughest matchups in football for running backs. And granted, a lot of that came at the end of the game, but I mean, points are points. And he and he had a really nice game. Uh, Dallas has allowed 60 plus receiving yards to three straight backfields. Um, we know that that's a big part of Saquon's game his work through the air. So in the, uh, oh yeah, I wrote. So when he played Dan Quinn in 2018 versus the Falcons, he had nine catches in that game. Uh, Dallas is doing the same thing. They're kind of just opening up for running backs through the air. Like I was just saying. So I, I think that all points to some good indicators for Saquon. Uh, he's going to, he's not really going to be game scripted out, right? Like he's still going to get usage if they're trailing. So that's interesting. I, wrote some stuff about Ingram, like Dallas has struggled a bit with these tight ends, especially the Philly guys last week. And they had like two more touchdowns that were called back from Parham and cook. So they've really, the numbers could look even worse than they are. Um, and then all those guys outside of maybe Gronk have been spending a lot of time in the slot. And that's where Ingram has actually run like more slot snaps than he has in line. So I think the spot for him is pretty good. He's had some nice games against Dallas in the past. I mean, he's, he's only got 48 yards through the first two games and, you know, New York has a lot of receivers, you know, available to throw to. So not totally sure in terms of like kind of the target distribution for him, but uh, it's, it's definitely a good spot for him. And it's one that he could, you know, at a weak position, he's definitely a guy with some upside. So I, I, I like the spot for this game environment as a whole. Yeah. And Ingram will benefit if, if those receivers don't come back too. I mean, yeah. that Tony had nine targets, but it, that could have easily have been Ingram. So it, he he's got a chance to get a lot of volume here. Yeah. And that they I'll say too, the giants were picking on the saints cornerback two in the end of that game. Uh, it's a tougher matchup for tight ends anyway. So it's kind of, you know, this might open up more for Ingram just, you know, cause he's not going against like, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, at, you know, most plays. I think the, the Ingram calls definitely interesting or the way that that sets up is, is interesting. It terrifies me that I might click on Evan Ingram <laughs> just based on his recent performances and just like drops and stuff at the end of last year. But definitely, I think, yeah, really kind of monitoring the receiver situation. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he could have a, a solid opportunity there. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you guys kind of hit on everything else here. Uh, we, you know, Trevon Diggs is, is the real deal back there. He looked great against Carolina had two picks. Uh, but outside of that, the receive like receivers have been producing against Dallas. So, um, just kind of like a high level from the things that you guys are talking about. There's definitely opportunity. Uh, Lex, did you have something else there? 
Yeah, the reason I, I wanted to say something is so we just spent a lot of time talking about all the positives for the Giants offense. And two weeks ago, we did the same thing versus the Falcons <laughs> and they completely yeah. flopped. So it is concerning that they've scored under 20 points in 12 of 20 games with Garrett. Um, Jones has definitely looked better this year. He's looked more comfortable in that offense. Um, and they have weapons. And I mean, everything that we just said about their offense, there's reasons why they can succeed. But I mean, keep in mind, this game could certainly fall on its face the same way it did versus Atlanta, who's an equally probably worse defense. So I think that's, in, that's just something to keep in mind. Like, you know, there's different ways that can play out. And like we laid out all the ways that can go off, but knowing this giants, you know, offensive history with Jason Garrett is something that we got to keep on, keep an eye on. That's why I was saying this game can be back and forth for the first half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then at some point the giants fall on their face, but well, uh, Carolina was, was up by one and a half last week. And then Dallas just kind of like took the roof off in the second game. I mean, the second half. So, well, and they had time too. like, if they would have got the ball back, they could have drove down and made up those eight points. Uh, something else I noticed too, was that when they were coming back, Diggs was off the field. Those two DJ Moore touchdowns happened without Diggs on the field. And if you go back and look like you can YouTube all of uh, DJ Moore's catches, the ones that Diggs allowed was just stuff that where he just sat down right in front of him and then he made the tackle. So, and uh, I think it was more, somebody fell down and that's how he got that, that pick six or the the big interception. But so if you're, yeah. you're looking at this going, you know, DJ Moore went off against Trayvon Diggs. That's, that's kind of one of those Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend <laughs> Diggs, they <laughs> actually did good against more, more did good against everybody else because the way they scheme him open, it's just amazing the way they're getting that guy open right now. Yeah. Yeah. And Jones, he has, you know, no interceptions this year other than that Hail Mary, like I said, but he has a two season history of turning the ball over all the time. So it's, you know, we're dealing with a four game sample versus two previous seasons worth of data. So that that's also something to keep in mind. And that big Barkley touchdown catch was basically Lattimore missed an assignment. He, he yep. was trying to pass off Barkley to somebody that wasn't there. And yeah. he's like, oh, shit, that's my guy. Total <laughs> blow catch up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then Saquon got a bunch of production in overtime too, you know? So like a lot of that was, they were lucky to even have the, you know, the plays that were got them there. Yeah. All right, guys. I think that will wrap us up there. I think that, you know, the very high level thing to say there at the end would just be keep that in mind. Uh, everything we just said there, like pick, pick which way you think the game is going to go and build around that. We good guys. Any, any final thoughts, anything like that? Um, the only thing I'll say is, uh, going back to the underdog thing, um, from the beginning. So I, I might be trying to get out like a, another article for the scroll this week instead of just a reflection just on, cause I've been doing drafts like every week throughout the week and a kind of just an idea of like who's being overlooked or undrafted and stuff. So yeah, just pay attention to that because a lot of that, like what we're saying can be applied to that format pretty well, just because the field is so soft. They're just not thinking of correlation at all. So I'm just trying to keep track of like kind of who's going overlooked in that format, because that's kind of the, some overlooked guy is basically help someone win that tournament every week. And I'll co-sign that. I've been playing those underdogs the past couple of weeks too, and they are fun and they are pretty soft. So uh, yeah. I would definitely, I, I need to start checking out your stuff, especially if you get it on the scroll, like the week ahead kind of stuff. I, I, I would be interested in looking at that because it is, it's softer fields. Like that's an untapped market for us right now. And yeah. I mean, right now it's kind of easy to lease cash in it. And even though the, the caching's not great, but yeah. I don't know, it's a fun, it's a fun way. It's to everything play. that they've been harping on, right? Like Xanamir with the super draft and like always, talking about Yahoo, like you just want to take these places that aren't as quite as sharp, you know, and just, you know, kind of drill your advantage. Yeah. 
Sounds like sites I should be playing on after my first four weeks. <laughs> um, but I did remember the, the I'll, I'll add one more thing here. I remember what I was going to say about the, uh, the previous game. If you're, if you're playing like really small field, like in the hundreds of entries, single entry tournaments, this is the kind of game that the, the Tennessee Jacksonville game is a game that you can build around and use four or five pieces from. Uh, that's one thing that I've noticed Zandemir's talked about a little bit in the inner discord in kind of like the single entry three max tourney channel that he'll just kind of take game environments that he really, really likes. And for small fields, because you don't need that massive ceiling, you can play those spots that you really like and take, a, you know, literally four or five guys from that game and just really game stack it and something that I'm really curious about and might do a little bit of myself this week. So that is it for us today though. Thanks for hanging out everyone. Yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> we are rolling out. This is the week. <laughs> this, this is the week for sure. I'm just like, man, I have, I hope I have something good to t- talk about next week. Uh, but yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. Feel free to hit me up on discord. If you are part of the fam or Lex or Jess, I'm Ben and hope to see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday night. Sunday night.